0: I'm Jake Levitas, and today you'll hear my story on San Francisco people.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to San Francisco People. This is Frank Garza, and today's guest is Jake Levites. Now, Jake is helping to make San Francisco a more enjoyable and positive experience for everyone. He's an urban planner. And he's currently specializing in this concept called urban prototyping. So I want to explain to you what that means. But first, let's break that word apart. And, and what do those two words mean? If you look up urban on Wikipedia, um, it's, it means it's related to cities. So anything urban is something related to cities. If you look up prototype, and I'm just going to read this one here, a prototype is an early sample model or release of a product built to test a concept or process or to act as a thing to be replicated or learned from. So urban prototype, that's an early model of a product built to test a concept within a city and one that can also be replicated to other cities. Now, Jake, he helps organize urban prototyping festivals in San Francisco. These festivals, they focus on a problem or an area of the city that needs to be improved. Um, And before the festival, um, various participants, really anybody, can build a prototype that then gets displayed at the festivals for people to see and test and give feedback on and see if it's really making an improvement in this area of the city or if it's really fixing that problem that it was intended to. One example is from the 2012 Urban Prototyping Festival that took place in SOMA. One of the problems that one of the participants wanted to solve was the lack of public restrooms available for people to use throughout the city. And so they created a prototype called the pee planner, and that literally gives us people space um, on the street to pee. And there's biofilters that take that urine, treat it, and turn it into a odor-free liquid that can be used to water nearby plants. So that's one example of some things you might see at an urban prototyping festival. Now, Jake is currently gearing up for a big one. It's called the Market Street Prototyping Festival, and it's going to run from April 9th through 11th. So for these three days, there'll be 50 prototypes displayed along Market Street from Van Ness to Embarcadero. And all these prototypes, their goal is to um, create a more positive experience along that section of Market Street and make that better for the public. Um, and so, you guys should definitely go and check those out and um, test these prototypes and give feedback on them because um, we might be able to implement some of those and make Market Street better. Um, Jake gave a TEDx talk a few years ago on urban prototyping. And so, he talks about that experience to kick off our conversation. And we also talk about his background and what led him down this path to urban planning and the urban prototyping festivals. Jake lives in Berkeley. We talk about his favorite spots there and throughout San Francisco and the Bay area. So let's go talk to Jake. Now, the First time I kind of caught an image of you, was um, i clicked on that link for the video for the tedx talk that you gave and um, i clicked it it opened up i heard a lot of clapping <laughs> and then all of a sudden there was you under the bright lights <laughs> giving giving a talk and i like got nervous for you <laughs> like right away because it seemed like it seemed like a pretty big deal i mean a tedx talk a lot of people would like to be given those so can you talk about uh, that moment and what it was like for you? Were you nervous? Was that a big moment?
0: It was definitely a big moment. I was definitely nervous. I practiced, I think, four times. I um. Uh, I was most afraid of the camera. Mm. So the there was probably about 100, 150 people in the room and that. Didn't really phase me at all. I like talking to people. That's the easy part But knowing that every single thing I said would be analyzed and recorded for all to see for all of history And if I messed up it would be there forever. That was the scariest part. All right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it's there It's, it's right there. there on youtube Anyone can go watch it.
0: Totally. Yeah, and it's interesting like how many people will um will see that first or that's the the first thing they see about me and as my works evolved over the years, it's always interesting to look back and see where you were at a certain point in time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that resonates with you or you look back on it with sort of nostalgia or remembering what it was like when you're at that point. And sometimes, you know, I think you end up proud of it or excited about it still, or you see how it led you to where you are. And that's what I like about that talk and, and other sort of milestones like it that are recorded or that do have a, a place where you can look back on them very clearly, right? But it is a little creepy looking back. At <laughs> well, how long was yourself? How long ago was it? It was uh, twenty twelve, I think September, August or September twenty twelve. Um, so I would have just turned twenty six.
1: Okay, yeah. Are there any any ideas or prototypes from this festival? That did turn into a real tangible thing that people could go out and look at or put their hands on in the city. Yeah, there
0: there were a few that continued. We really tried to make an effort to work with the city um, to help carry some of them forward. And the city planning department here is fantastic. They're really progressive. They're really um, forward thinking, and they've come up with programs that have become standards, uh, of inspiration for the rest of the country that have become applied elsewhere. And, and so we, we wanted to connect all of the teams with the city to see where projects could work and, and, uh, and where they could potentially do kind of deeper pilots over, over longer periods of time. And, and several projects went forward. One that actually went to another city was called pulse of the city. And, um, it's really fun. It's by George Zisiadis, who's done a lot of a, a lot of amazing work in, in public space. And he built this module with his team that is basically a heart sculpture with two handles on the sides. You grab the handles, you have your pulse read, so it, it reads your pulse. Um, and it plays you back an electronic music, sound and light show based on your heart rate. and sends the data to a central holding place where it can be used and analyzed by the city and um, He tested this out basically with cardboard and some software and hardware here in San Francisco for a couple thousand bucks uh, or a thousand bucks, I think and took it to Boston someone from Boston came to the festival and said hey we'd love to see this through and see what a fully realized version would look like in boston and they ended up doing five installations in boston actually only about nine months later so i had met with george before the first festival and he said hey i got this idea for this project and he had it literally sketched on a napkin basically on a piece of paper and to see the progression from that and to give it again, that platform, that way of coming to life, um, even just a really light version and and give it some momentum. Then, you know, basically a year after that first meeting, a year after it was a napkin sketch, it's something that tens of thousands of people see in Boston every day, which is amazing.
1: Wow. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's take a few steps back (laughs) and talk about your background a little bit. And what ultimately led you uh, down this path um, to, I guess, the urban planning world, you know, that I'll call it. Um, you're from Raleigh, North Carolina, right? Yes. Were City you... City of Oaks. City of Oaks. Okay. <laughs> I've been there. I did not know it was the City of Oaks. Yeah. I enjoyed my time there, though. <laughs> um, were you born there, grew up there all the way through high school? Yeah.
0: 18 okay. 18 years.
1: So what, what's Raleigh like and what was your uh, like, your family life like growing <laughs> up?
0: Yeah. Well, my family's amazing. So that part was really great. My, my parents are always really supportive. Um, and the people are amazing in Raleigh. Like the first thing that people notice when they're in the plane in Raleigh is damn, there's a lot of trees everywhere. Like everyone says that to me and growing up, I didn't even notice. I just thought that's what places looked like was there Mm -hmm. were trees everywhere. And then like I spent a lot more time outside of Raleigh and I met people who had been to Raleigh once or twice and are like, you guys got a lot of trees. Um, and the second, people, the second thing people notice is how nice everybody is and, and just how easy it is to talk to people and get along. And I think that's one of the best parts about the South and you'll hear that from most people that spend some time down there. Um, for me, it was... Interesting growing up in a place that is nicknamed some by some sprawly, sprawly, um, right? Okay, so, why is it nicknamed that? Uh, well, there wasn't much downtown to speak of when I was okay. growing up, it was pretty neglected. Uh, people my age in high school weren't spending time down there, um, and you know, we didn't spend too much time down there as a family, so you spend most of your time hanging out at your friend's houses in the suburbs. I drove, uh, 12 miles each way to school every day. So coming out to San Francisco, it's like one and a half or almost two lengths of the entire city. Well (laughs) out of the city. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, you'd be in the Pacific ocean if you just drove straight from the bay. So I think that definitely influenced me. the, The, the dependency on cars, um, And when I was, I remember when I was about 14 or 15, right before I could drive, I was old enough to work and I couldn't take a job because I couldn't get to it. There was no way for me to be able to go there and come back at the end of the day unless I figured out some complicated carpooling system and it didn't work with my parents at the time for various reasons. So we lived a couple miles away uh, from the closest Thing that wasn't a house uh, and that's really common for people to be like a couple miles away from a shopping center where you get groceries and so unless I wanted to walk uh, you know 45 minutes or something to get to work every day I wasn't gonna be able to do it and the result is me and a lot of other people I think in similar situations basically just didn't make use of that time so we you know just hang out play video games watch tv like I spent a oh, summers doing that which is really frustrating i mean it's it's out of the all the problems you could have growing up as a kid like that's you know there's much worse places you can be in obviously but like but for me it was formative because i saw how people's entire lives were built around their spatial surroundings and dependencies on different types of uh, establishments like different different pieces of the city basically being close to them or far from them. And that, that issue of distance really affects people. Like for me, when I'm in the car, I'm a totally different person. I get the worst road rage. I want everyone out of my way. I hate pedestrians and bikers. I just want to get where I'm going. And I think everyone gets that way, What no matter where you are on the street, unless you're walking. And you know, if you're in a hurry, you're still a little bit combative, a little bit in a hurry maybe. But you're a different person when you're in a, an armored vehicle, basically, yeah. which is what these things are. And so
1: I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I, I work in the East Bay. So, I mean, I commute yeah. back and forth every day. And when I come back and like park my car on a Friday, I mean, I'll like lock my car and I'll, like, I'll have this conscious thought, yes, that's the last time I have to drive for like two days because right. it does. It stresses me out too. And I get like, I get pissed all the time on the road and then, I never transportation never frustrates me Now or like getting around doesn't mm-hmm. frustrate me at all when I'm in when I'm in the city right most of the time.
0: Yeah, and and I had never had the experience of Being in a place where you didn't have to do that Yeah, where you could get by for even a little bit without a car um,
1: So did you realize all of these things? As you were growing up in Raleigh or is this in retrospect you kind of like put these pieces together?
0: It was both it was you know, seeing other cities where I didn't drive or I didn't need to and just spending some time there. Um, but it was it was happening around the same time. Like, I think as I was getting out of high school, I was realizing maybe it doesn't have to be this way. I wonder who decides how it's this way. How are cities made? And like really yeah. getting that perspective where you look at the city from from a, from one level up and you see. You know, how the streets are formed and how the, how the plans are laid out and how the the relationship between different types of spaces affects everyone's life who lives there. And, um, I was really mostly driven by sustainability at the time, environmental impact of driving of low density development of people, you know, socially also being disconnected from each other. And that drove me to think about cities as you know, platforms and and drivers of sustainability in people's lives. Um, so it's funny. I mean, my dad always says like, I would have never seen you as an urban planner or someone interested in cities in this way at all. Um, but they're so critical to everyone's lives these days. Uh, what, even whether you live in them or not, uh, they're the drivers of so much of our economy, of our culture, and of sort of who we are as a country and, and a people. So I just think they're endlessly fascinating, and uh, I'm glad that that's the thing that I get kind of geeked out about and Yeah, I agree. <laughs> passionate about.
1: I mean, I'm from a small town in Missouri. Um, as I was telling you earlier, I grew up in Louisiana. So I was from like that suburban sprawl as well. Mm-hmm. and uh I realize now after living here like I am a ci- I'm a city person uh-huh. <laughs> like that's what makes me happy um just like being here in the city makes me happy yeah. um so I know like that's for me and like where I want to be like long term as well
0: yeah I think a big part of it was about empathy for me too because I came here and rode muni for the first time and everyone on the bus seemed like was from a different country than each other and the diversity was amazing the uh, Just the ways that people interacted was amazing when you're sitting next to someone versus Driving next to their car and want to run each other off the road Um, You know cities force you to engage with each other and sometimes that involves conflicts and differences of opinion and Um, you know, rubbing elbows literally with people of all different backgrounds, but I think in the end, that helps you understand people's perspectives better and, um, tells you more about the human experience than anything else. Yeah.
1: So you're having these thoughts, you're kind of putting these pieces together in high school. Um, did you know, did you say the words like urban plan? (laughs) Like I want to be an urban planner. Um, did you choose that and like then go to college to like focus on that?
0: No, I actually was still focused on environmental work really through, uh, probably the middle of college. Okay. I, I worked at, <laughs>
1: where'd you go to college at?
0: Washu you in St. Louis. All right. Um, a Missourian. Yes. Yes. Love for Missouri. Missouri loves company. <laughs> I learned a lot in Missouri. Um, In college, again, I was focusing on environmental work. My first job before I went to college was on a hog farm in Eastern North Carolina. So it's really fun to get into that conversation with people at a bar or something. You're like, what's your worst summer job? And I literally was not quite shoveling shit, but I was <laughs> sampling hog waste from a lagoon to sampling,
1: sampling hog waste from a lagoon. <laughs> that <laughs> is pretty bad. <laughs> so
0: lagoons are these like, are the ponds of waste that basically they collect from the hogs, uh, on one of these farms. And this particular study, uh, I was working for NC state research, uh, atmospheric, I think earth, an atmospheric science department, something like that. And, um, and so they were sampling technologies that would reduce the impact of hog waste on surrounding communities. So testing out a bunch of different practices that would basically make them, you know, re- uh, emit less pollutants, less odor, things like that. Um, and so we were out there, Eastern North Carolina, which most of, that part of the state has something like a seven or eight or nine to one hog to people ratio. North Carolina is the second Wait, hog producing state.
1: Which state was this? That was number North one? Carolina. So North oh, Car- Iowa was number one. I was number one at one least at that point there, hog to people ratio. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
0: exactly. I like that. So yeah, nine to one that gives you some context. It was like over a hundred degrees flies all over the place, like going in and dipping samples out of the pool. And you know that was like my introduction to environmental research so i'm like maybe that's
1: not right bad did you ever get to do one of these uh i don't know what you call it but it's like you try and catch a hog in like a in like a <laughs> muddy great, square pen yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah did you ever get to do that i did not i always I wanted that to do was, that and that, I, that seems like it would be fun scooping record. up their shit in lagoon does not does not seem fun
0: exactly um i've seen I've seen it, but I haven't I haven't uh, run after them myself. Okay. Um. So anyway, so that's the long story. So I I I wanted to test out these different sides of environmental work. So that was the sort of brief foray into science and research then i worked for interned for a sustainable development company called cherokee that was doing sort of large-scale mixed-use sustainable developments uh, around the country and that was more of the business and real estate side in a way of of sustainability and how large projects get built with sustainability in mind Um, then I worked at a policy group, uh, also at NC State, the the solar center. Um, and that was sort of my introduction to the policy world, because there's a lot of different angles you can approach this work from. And the last one that I settled on was at an engineering firm, uh, Arup, and they were doing a lot of planning work as well, and really focusing on cities and the technical aspects of how sustainability is incorporated into cities. So thinking about the interactions between waste and water and energy use and carbon emissions and things like that with the built environment and land use and how cities are planned. And that was really interesting work um, and is still really fascinating to me. Um, But that was once I started doing that work with cities, I kind of realized that was where my home was and and where a lot of uh, impact could be made.
1: And they're a pretty big firm, right? I mean, didn't they do... Sydney Opera House, that's what they're yeah, most well known yeah. for. Yeah, there
0: are about 10,000, I believe, around the world. And so our office here was about 100 when I started and went up to about 200 while I was there at certain points.
1: Okay. Yeah. So was that what brought you to San Francisco? Yeah. Okay. That was my first So that was job the job here. that like brought you out here? It was
0: a great excuse. I remember at the time saying this was my dream job in my dream city, and that was totally the case.
1: So you have a a big festival coming up, right? Yeah, at the Market Street, <laughs> uh prototyping festival. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the purpose of that event and uh, when is it?
0: So I'll answer the second question first. It's okay. April 9th to the eleventh. Bring everyone you know, it's gonna be amazing. Um It really started in January of last year, twenty fourteen. Um I was doing a fellowship in the mayor's office here, uh, and basically uh, two leaders from, from organizations in the city. The first one, uh, Neil Russoe from the city planning department and Deborah Cullinan from Yerba Buena Center for the Arts came together and essentially asked me if we could apply the, the urban prototyping model to Market Street. and. It was the easiest thing I've ever
1: said yeah. yes to. <laughs> what blocks of Market Street are we talking about here?
0: Uh, Van Ness to Embarcadero. Okay. So about two miles of the heart of Market Street. Okay. So the scale is really inspiring. And big props to Neil and Deborah's vision on that because I my first reaction was, This is going to be really hard or impossible, Um, especially on the time frame that we were working on, which we were going to host the festival in October at one point. Now it's uh, coming up in April. So we've had about 16 months overall from the initial conception to to the day itself, uh, the days themselves. And so essentially Market Street's being redesigned for the first time in 40 or 50 years. So it's a a once-in-a-generation process to rethink the most used, the most loved, the most um, traveled thoroughfare in San Francisco and really outside of New York in in America. And there's a quarter million people, over a quarter million, that that use it every day. Hmm. Um, Which is, the scale is just amazing. and so the way I think about it is kind of like a gateway drug to the planning process. There's going to be 50 installations from artists, designers, technologists, all kinds of people, community members, youth. Uh, we have a team of a dozen youth that are designing a project all um, aimed
1: at just improving that section of Marcus street and making it yeah, better.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it's broken up into five districts. Um, 10 projects per district, and you know, it ranges from everything from uh, hexagon shaped ping pong tables to a swing uh, covered in grass to a uh, project called the Rainbow Prismatic Experience, which is just hanging prisms all over Market Street and creating rainbows all over the place. Um, and you know, it's it's just really fun stuff and some are more practical than others. Some are more um, just about having fun and bringing a little bit of whimsy and creativity into people's daily lives as they're walking to and from Bart from their banking finance job um, or whatever it might be. But I think the biggest theme is really encouraging people to interact on the street and engage with people that they might, not know otherwise and make the street a little bit more welcoming, maybe make it feel a little bit more theirs, um, and feel that sense of belonging. So, uh, that's, I don't
1: don't engage with anybody when I'm walking down those sections of Marcus street. Yeah, That's for sure. I want to like, just get the hell down the road. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People are in their zone and it's, it's sometimes a little bit like being in a car, you know, you're going to your place, people are going to their place. You just want to get past them. Um, but You know the street can be much more than that. I think Uh, I'd like to think and a lot of these projects speak to that and You know more broadly. It's just a way for people to participate in this process like the normal city planning process is a lot of what Motivated me to do this type of work and how everyone feels that it's broken You know the city thinks it's broken the community thinks it's broken planners think it's broken everybody hates it. Um, which to me just says that there's an opportunity that we can all do better collectively and make it something that people are excited about. Like for me, planning a city should be the most exciting thing that we do collectively as a society. Um, and it's definitely not the way right now. Um, and there's amazing people at all levels of that spectrum doing work to make it better in the planning world and in, in cities everywhere in government um, and in communities and like it's it's a continually evolving process This is just one part of that process in a, in a really long historical chain of, of Community organizing and city planning, but it's something that we're excited about just because of how Much it lets people engage. These are all installations designed by people in the Bay Area um, with community input all along the way by people uh, from all around San Francisco and and the broader Bay Area, um, who have had a chance to experience the projects firsthand at different points along the way, um, and and these three days they'll they'll have a chance to see them on the street. So a typical, just to give you a frame of reference, like a typical city planning process will engage a couple hundred people, um, and just by putting this out on the street, the you know the starting number is two hundred fifty thousand for the number of people who'll just each day see these projects in some form and pass by them and maybe interact with them. So that's really exciting to me.
1: Excellent. I'll be there. Yeah sounds awesome. awesome. I'll come <laughs> awesome. check it out. Cool. All right. So let me ask you just one more question about prototyping and then we're gonna we're gonna move on and talk about San Francisco a little bit. Um, so what if you could pick one thing one problem that the city's having that you think is most in need of prototyping, what would you like to what kind of event would you like to see?
0: It's hmm. a really good one um I feel like you gotta say housing these days, right um one of the projects in the festival is called the house-lets. houselets okay <laughs> and uh it's it's basically a really light temporary structure that can be a light housing situation for for people on the street and give a little bit of shelter and security to folks. Um, That one's led by Tim McCormick. And, you know, whether it results in enough um, housing units to solve the the city's crisis uh, is, is a long way down the road. But I think just thinking about how public spaces, how vacant spaces, how sidewalks, things like that can... Um, address some of these bigger issues either directly or indirectly. Um, I think people are starting to think creatively about that now. There's been um, some interesting work done, I believe, in Madison around building really tiny homes on the street on city property, um, and just utilizing some of the the assets that people have, that the city that the city has, and really seeing public space as a major asset um, for for cities in general. Uh, there's a lot of Parking spaces out there, there's a lot of vacant lots uh, in most American cities that uh, could be used a lot more than they are. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, that's a, that's a big one to tackle that a lot of people in the, in the city and, and government and outside are, are thinking about right now. So by no means do we have all the answers uh, yet, but uh, a lot of, a lot of smart people are thinking about it now, so I'm optimistic.
1: So what neighborhood do you call home, Jake? <laughs> uh,
0: secretly, I moved to Berkeley. Oh, so okay. Hey, yeah. that's all
1: right. Yeah.
0: So, How long I, ago did you move to Berkeley? Uh, n- about nine months now. So okay. I was in the city for about six, seven years and then uh, made my trip out to the East Bay, um, okay. partially for sort of space and, and peace and quiet, but, uh, also had some friends that were moving out there and we decided to move in together. So it's been good. It's been good. It's very different. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So what would you say are your three favorite things to do or places to go in Berkeley?
0: Oh man. Um, I will say there's, there's a restaurant called Vic's Chot house that is pretty amazing. Um, I really love Indian food and it's incredible. Um, there is a blues dance night at this community center. That's really great called La Pena. And on Wednesday nights, you can go blues dance there. And I started swing dancing when I was 16 or so. Um, so I just love it. And it's just really, kind of quaint and cute and it's just really community centered and fun. And I think probably getting outside too. I mean, you can be almost anywhere in Berkeley and you're close to some kind of trail or just walking around the streets of the city itself. That's one thing that I'll say is you find a lot of nature within the city. And I think San Francisco can, probably do a little bit better at incorporating that if you look at a lot of other cities in the u.s and and beyond there's just trees everywhere there's like a lot more parks and there's just a better sense of of not being in this concrete jungle in a way um and berkeley i remember the first i moved out in spring the first time i um just started walking around the neighborhoods you just get this sense that there's someone with a perfume gun of like floral Hmm. Essences and they're just spraying it all over the place because it's almost like too good to be true There's birds chirping and there's uh, just flowers everywhere. It's amazing. Um, It's pretty great (laughs) What
1: about what about San Francisco? What would you say are your three favorite restaurants in the city? I know that's a tough that's a narrow down. Yeah,
0: that's a whole conversation itself. (laughs) It's more like cool. You offend by not including them, um, but I really love Balompie Cafe.
1: Balompia, cafe. Balompie. Yeah, Balompier I'm
0: hesitant cafe. to even talk about it. Yeah, I've never heard of a it. A lot of folks have heard about it. It's a Pupusa place, a Salvadorian place okay. on Eighteenth and Cap, and it is amazing. And I go there whenever I need like some comfort and and uh great people, great food. Um Little Star Pizza is incredible. Oh yeah. I think that's probably like my favorite single bite of food maybe in in the entire world. <laughs> is there? I like Little Star. The ever, Little
1: Star. Have you ever checked out Capo's? No. In North Beach, you ever been no. to Tony's Pizza? Tony's? North Beach? Tony's is Yeah, so Tony's is my favorite pizza place, but he yeah. also opened up a deep dish like Chicago deep dish style place okay. like right up the street. Uh Columbus and Vallejo, maybe. Nice. It's called Kappa's and it it's awesome, deep dish, nice. just like Little okay. Star. You should check it Gotta out. Got to put it on the list. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing.
0: Um, where else? Udupi Palace.
1: I've never been there either. I've heard great things so about good. that. Is that so Indian good. vegetarian? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: Southern Indian, so dosas and stuff like that. In the mission. Oh, it's so good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've been totally. wanting to check that out. Yep. Okay. What about your three favorite places to get a drink in the city?
0: Man, um, probably, uh, hold on. This is a tricky one. I like Halva is pretty cool. The hideout is like their bar within a bar. Um, that one's in the mission.
1: Um, so Halva, I think is is the name of it. Yeah. And it's, you said it's within.
0: There's a, there's a bar, a mini bar called The Hideout within that bar. Oh. It's like wow. one of those okay. secret
1: things. Interesting.
0: Semi secret. Um, I think uh, Tropi Sueño is awesome. That is on Yerba Buena Lane downtown. And uh, they have the best margaritas. They got like 10 different kinds you can get, but the classic is just. It's like old reliable. It's always going to be there for you. And it's delicious. Um, and then... I I like local addition too because there aren't that many places with that kind of feel. It's like literally underground. Um, they have good cocktails. It's a little bit like one of those too cool hip kind of places but there aren't very many places downtown where you can just have an intimate environment like have a conversation with someone and feel like you're you're in a city and you're um in kind of you know a little bit more of a I don't know. Just an intimate setting. Like it always seems,
1: but it's huge too. I mean, compared to like other places in San Francisco, it's one of the biggest bars I know of. So it'd be a great place to like go with a big group. I I love that place as well. Yeah. yeah. Cool spot. Totally. totally. Is is there a new place you've been to recently? Um, that's really impressed you Um, food or drink wise.
0: There must've been, I mean, things are changing all the time, but I kind of like, stick to my guns. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what's been new. I mean, Nopa's kind of old at this point. They've been here for a while.
1: Um, it doesn't have to be like new restaurant, just like new to you. Oh, new to me, a new restaurant you've been to recently for the first time that you thought was pretty amazing.
0: Um, well, it took me a while to go to mission Chinese and that
1: place is crazy good. Yeah, it's I need really, to go back. Yeah. I've only been there once. It's really I really like that.
0: Yeah, I took my parents there, and it just—you know—it's so loud. They're like blasting hip hop and serving up this crazy, amazing off-the-wall food, and um, and they were just pretty blown away. I think. <laughs>
1: awesome. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you love living in the Bay Area. Yeah, and you're not planning to move away anytime soon. But let's say you had to move away. Yeah you got some big promotion or for some reason you (laughs) moved away. How would you spend your last, your last day in the Bay area?
0: Oh man, I'd have to cram a lot in, (laughs) to cram a lot in. Um, I think you got to do Twin Peaks because you can look all around you and see the entire city. And that's just,
1: it's a very unique view of the city.
0: No, no, most other cities you can't just go on top of a, you know, small mountain basically or a huge hill and, and see it, see all the city from one place. That's amazing. So probably there roll over to all those restaurants. I just mentioned (laughs) eat so much (laughs) drink a lot. Um, go to Land's end. I think like hiking and biking around there is so amazing. Baker beach. If it's sunny, go across the bridge, ride the ferry back. Um, Angel Island is amazing. I love spending time out there, and uh, you know, finish it off at top of the mark. Have a there nice, you go. Have a classy cocktail, <laughs> and uh, and and move on in the world. But that would be a hard day, though. You can spend your last day at two thousand different ways, probably. Yeah. Here. So.
1: Well, that sounds like a great day. Yeah, man. And maybe uh, I should do that tomorrow <laughs> yeah Treat Treat every day, day like it's your, last, your day last day in exactly. San Francisco huh? so a big thanks to Jake for being on the show I really enjoyed hearing about his journey and about all the great things he's doing for San Francisco make sure you check out the Marcus Street prototyping festival from April 9th to 11th. And again, that's on Market Street between Van Ness and Embarcadero. And try to find Jake while you're there. Tell him hello. Tell him what a great job you did on the podcast. Um, I'm going to be there, no doubt, to check that out. I'll have a link to the festival information on the show notes. And you can see the show notes from the San Francisco People website. That's www.sfpeoplepodcast.com. From the front page, you'll see Jake's show notes. Just click there and you can get a recap to the show and everything else that we talked about during the show. Thanks everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at SF People Podcast and you can follow me at Frank Garza SF. We're also on Facebook. Just search for San Francisco People Podcast. And please reach out and send me an email if you have any feedback about the show or if you have a guest. Um, in mind that you think would be great for a future show I'd, I'd love to hear that from you my email is frank at sfpeoplepodcast.com. we'll be back in a few weeks i'm frank garza for san francisco people